0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Oh!
1: How'd you do? How'd you do, good lady? I am Arthur, King of the Britons. <clears throat> Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. Didn't oh, know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes. Oh, there are, you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people oh, would please, be, uh, please, good people, I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you. We're an anarcho syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a civil majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet! But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more major... Be quiet! I order you to be quiet! Order? Who does he think he is? I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how'd you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake. Her arm, clad in the purest, shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! But you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! I mean, if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up, will you? Shut up! Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system. Help, help! I'm being repressed, bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Do you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Do you see him repressing me? You
2: it, Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 5th, 2009. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW
3: 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon.
2: Oh no, not right wing. Just right.
0: into colour Colour it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be
3: alright Today, Bob and I are going to be discussing a topic that comes and goes just about as often as a member of the royal family visits Canada. <laughs> <laughs> what would that be? Let me think. Well, it's the role of the monarchy in yeah. Canada. And I'd like to start off by reading a letter to the editor of the Globe and Mail from Tuesday. Tony Matthews of Kingston, Nova Scotia wrote quote, you can grow up to become anything you want in Canada except its head of state. Another reason to get rid of the monarchy. It's an institution that perpetually keeps Canada's head of state foreign. White and Protestant. A discriminatory policy that is definitely anti-Canadian. On Hmm. the flip side, on the flip side of that, there's another letter to the editor of the Globe and Mail from uh, Monday. And that is by Andrew... Kowski of Oakville, Ontario. He wrote, I'm a new Canadian of non-British origin who would like to keep the royal connection. It's an institution with deep historical resonance, and it does not, in its present form, interfere with the governance of this country. It distinguishes us from our southern neighbours, the people who twice elected George W. Bush as their head of state, and can't spell neighbours right. (laughs) So there you have two sides of the coin. Actually, it's a multifaceted coin, Bob. Um, it certainly is. Oh, uh, I have yeah. to
2: tell you, I've, I haven't devoted a whole show to this subject before, but we're going to be doing that today. Um, I had an epiphany about the, the whole royalty thing last night that uh, had ne- I never really got into before because of some discussions. I've never been too fussy about whether we have a constitutional monarchy or a republic in the sense of um, which is the better form of government in terms of you know, making sure we can maintain our freedoms uh... both systems i think are capable of doing that and both systems i think are capable of destroying it depending on who's running the government and of course uh... but there are some interesting aspects that can be a, a weight one way or the other and i think that's what comes up with the monarchy a
3: lot Well, i agree with you um, i think probably the uh... the worst Uh, perpetrator of destroying of freedoms is not necessarily who's the head of state, it's what kind of democracy you have. It's usually ourselves. It's usually ourselves who destroy our own freedoms.
2: Well, you know, whenever I hear, um, let's get rid of the monarchy, let's reform our electoral system, let's uh, change the boundaries of this and anything that has to do with changing structure, um, what is that a response to? It's always a response to bad government. And fixing those things ain't going to change bad government. That's right. We would still have Stephen Harper, we would still have Dalton McGuinty, and we could change all of those structures. All that would do would either let them more loose at the public or less loose. You know, you have, it's how much uh, control does the public itself have over its governments? Right. So,
3: you know. Well, today what we're going to be talking yeah. about is a calming influence. The common influence the monarchy has perhaps a president has a head of state has over the rabble over the commons over the house of uh, commons the senate uh, the people and what is the role of the governor-general what's the role of the queen what would be the role of a president so the first part of the show we're going to be talking about just actually the fact that we have royalty just down the road today they're in Hamilton uh, Prince Prince uh, the Prince of Wales and the princess of Wales yes. are in Hamilton today And uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about the role of our Governor-General, Michelle John. And um, later on, even further after the half-hour break, we're going to be talking about an example of the the use of the role of the Governor-General from the Australian perspective. So, but first to start, we're going to be talking about the Prince and Princess of Wales.
2: Sure, and don't forget 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you've got any opinions on this subject. We'll be talking about it for the whole hour, so you can call at any time during the show, I guess. Hey, Robert?
3: Oh yeah, glad to hear okay. from anybody out there who has an opinion about this. The Prince and Princess of Wales are touring our country this week and next, and it seems that every time a royal drops in to say hello, Bob, the same question pops up. Do we really need a monarchy in Canada today? The first question I ask myself when I think of that uh, question is what is their role what do they do what is their function in our society and in our government the answer I came up with Bob is not much Uh, but as it turns out that little bit of not much that they do play has an enormous effect on our society and how we define ourselves the actual power of our sovereign the Queen is simply to appoint on the advice of our Prime Minister, a Governor-General. That's basically all the power that she has. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. They really think that she has all the powers that the Governor-General has and, and, and you know, a royal assent of bills and all that, but not, not really. No. All those powers were divested into the uh, Governor-General. The Queen simply appoints a Governor-General. Beyond that, it's all pomp and circumstance, accepting flowers from smiling children, laying reeds on war memorials, that kind of a thing. No real power to say. Let's talk a little bit about a royal highness, though, the prince and princess of Wales, Charles and Camilla, our future king and queen, by the way. Which seems to be upsetting
2: a few people.
3: Indeed, yeah, because and I think it's the popularity of these two. (laughs) Some of them uh, you may already uh, be asking out there, did I say the princess of Wales? Uh, Yes. Did I say the queen? Yes. I did. While Camilla herself styles herself as the Duchess of Cornwall... Her, sty- her style and title in full is actually Her Royal Highness the Princess Charles Philip Arthur George Princess of Wales and Countess of Chester Duchess of Cornwall, Duchess of Rothsay Countess of Carrick, Baroness of Renfrew Lady of the Isles, Princess of Scotland <laughs> <laughs> So, w- Put that on a driver's license
2: <laughs> was, was one of them mentioned by Monty Python in the opening skit there? Okay.
3: <laughs> Wasn't too sure When Prince Charles becomes king, it's thought that Camilla will style herself as the princess consort rather than the queen. But in fact, of course, she will be our queen, the queen of Canada. And Charles become the king of Canada. Do we really need, though, a king and queen once Elizabeth II's reign has ended? She is 83 years old, you know. Would her passing be a good time to take stock of who we are as Canadians and decide if we want to continue with things the way they are? Why fix something if it isn't broken? Well, that's my question. Mm-hmm. And it's mine, too. Yeah. It's mine, too. But apparently that question comes up so often, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, if you ask a Quebecer, 11% of Quebecers want to keep the monarchy. That's pretty darn low. Yes, but that's the only place it's that low. I it is the rest true. The the
2: country, it's high. <laughs> and, and
3: no, and actually, it's not. Higher. <laughs> it's higher, yeah. but not high. The rest of Canada don't necessarily feel the same way like Quebecers, Um, But it's not looking so good either for keeping uh, a Brit as our sovereign. According to a Leger marketing poll for Sun Media, 45% of Canadians would like to see the end of the monarchy in Canada. That's pretty close to to calling the question, more or less, when you get a
2: majority. Right and um but of course what they're saying I'm, I'm looking at an article which one are you looking at what article were you look getting that from
3: uh... that was from the globe mail uh... this week okay uh, now this one here have. is from
2: the london free press which quotes the same stats but has another slight comment on it and it says um, yes forty five percent want to dump the monarchy but forty four percent want to keep it that's true and yep. and it's really skewed by Quebec's uh, result, which is 78% against. And Still,
3: that, Quebecers uh, are Canadians. Yes. And their vote But matters. they're
2: also a separate interest in terms of their relationship to the country.
3: And... Um, That's true. But you know something? When they uh, interviewed all these people for the survey, each one of them had their own special interest as to why they would vote or not vote for a monarchy. Of course. You know, and I'll bet you not one of them understand the monarchy. <laughs> probably not. You know, uh, all the people out there driving to their cars or just sitting at home listening to this conversation on the monarchy probably have an opinion about it. But uh, what I would encourage people to do is to sit down and actually find out exactly what does the monarchy do? What is the role of the monarchy? What is the history well, of the monarchy? I
2: already see a danger in the word monarchy because I, I see two different elements here. You're talking about what do the monarchy do? You know, not much. You're talking about the royal family. That, that's, that's an a, element of it. That's just an element of the monarchy. A the constitutional element. monarchy under which we exist is an institution in, in and unto itself. Yes, it is. Separate from the people who are the um, the um, you know human embodiment of it or the symbol of it. Yeah. So that you've got this constitutional monarchy, which is in effect, say, our, our constitution, really, in a way, what protects us from our government. That's, that's
3: getting back to the very first opener right. where you're talking about protecting our freedoms. Is it working or not? But let's go back to the yeah. poll. Okay. Um, an amazingly high number of people uh, want to see the uh, monarchy gone. And you know something? That number is going to continue to grow with immigration from non-commonwealth countries and uh, rise perhaps one day to a clear majority of Canadians asking ourselves for a change in how this government is formed. Consider these statistics. Now, I have a number here. I'll go through them all and then let me know what now, you think is about Is that a above.
2: guarantee, though? Is, is it, can we assume that just because we're going to have people coming from non-commonwealth countries nope. that they'll be against the monarchy as such cause nope, remember that I'm, letter, I'm from wrote. such a country and I don't feel that way <laughs> and I know other people who come from other
3: countries that, that are that, that like the idea of the monarchy Oh true and just consider that letter I read at the very beginning yeah. he was from a non british oh, right. subject yes. who actually wanted the monarchy that's fine you know and I, I actually applaud that kind of uh, decision but here's some stats just to keep in mind when we're talking about this uh, topic <clears throat> according to the same poll only two percent two percent of Canadians think Charles and Camilla would make strong monarchs. 37.5% of Canadians list their es- ethnicity as being British. English, Scottish, or Welsh, that is. 32.2% of Canadians list their ethnicity, ethnicity as Canadian. While the Queen is the, quote, the defender of the faith, being the governor of the Church of England, only 8% of Canadians are Anglican. 20% of Canadians are foreign-born. The majority of these coming from China and India. Now, mind you, India is a Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. The Canada today is nowhere near canada of 1867. in fact it's nothing like the canada i was born into either so with the obvious disconnect many canadians feel with great britain prince charles duchess camilla will this inevitably force us to re-examine our british monarchy tradition what do you think bob but all those stats all that that different the well, point of view of canada changing from day to day
2: you know, I've, I've got I got a lot to say about this, and I'm going to save most of it for the end of the show. But when somebody tells me um, times are changing, I say so what. Principles don't. When they tell me that countries grow and there's more people, I say so what. Well put. So what? You know, with, with the demog democ- or, or, or or sorry, the, the the demo demography. I can't <laughs> even say the word demographics. The demographics change. <laughs> I have to say so what right so what if the demographics change do our rights change nope not not an iota so i think you and i are going to come down
3: on the same side i, of I think this we
2: may eventually and i because we haven't discussed this in advance and um nope. i've been sort of on the fence i'm not fussy one way this is not by the way about uh, a republic versus a monarchy per se although that's going to be part of it um but um i think part of the discussion is making uh, our governor general our own
3: symbol of the monarchy that's what we're going to be talking about when we come back from the break
2: Good thing. Okay, I guess it might be a good time to take a break, and in this break, uh, we're actually going to be hearing from the Queen herself, although, maybe not really, this is from the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, taken a (laughs) little while (laughs) ago.
1: You know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because tonight's CBC Gala is such a special occasion, we thought we'd start with a guest who reflected the splendor and majesty of Canadian comedy, and who better to do that than our head of state... It was a little bit difficult to book her because last time she came to Winnipeg, she got stuck in a boat. But we managed to get her, and here she is. Ladies and gentlemen, our ruler, one of the few sequels that is better than the original, Her Royal Highness, Queen Elizabeth
0: II. Such a grand plaisir to be here. Avec vous soir. When I was invited to attend this year's CBC Winnipeg Comedy Festival, my response was immediate. Why me? (laughs) Haven't I suffered enough? (laughs) They said, what do you mean, your majesty? I said, well, the last time I was here, your city put me on a boat which broke down halfway across the Red River, (laughs) leaving us completely stranded in the freezing cold they had to send a second boat to rescue us they said your majesty you were lucky just be grateful they didn't send one of those military helicopters to rescue (laughs) you I came prepared for the weather. Now, I don't go anywhere without my fur-lined bra. (laughs) Winnipeg is such a lovely city, even though it is full of Ukrainians. (laughs) But I do have some very fond memories of my last visit to Canada. My favorite event was when I dropped the puck at a Vancouver Canuck game. Hockey is cruel, brutal, and painful. Much like having tea with Camilla.
3: <laughs> Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FN. I'm Robert Vaughn, and I'm here with Bob Metz. And you can call 519 5- to join in on the conversation. And today we're talking about the monarchy. And just before the break, we were discussing the role of the monarchy in Canada today. And to continue with the topic, I'd like to focus on the role of the Queen's representative in Canada, the Governor-General, a position currently held by Michael Jean. Now, the Governor-General has been in the news on a couple of occasions recently, Bob. There Mm -hmm. was a slight rising of some eyebrows when her website claimed she was the head of state. Some said that the Queen is the head of state, but I'm going to quote you from her website. By the way, she is the head of state. Yeah, I think so too. Not the Queen. Now, the Queen is the head of state when she's here, but the Governor-General is the head of state. This is from the Governor-General's website. The responsibility of the Governor-General have evolved over time, along with the evolution of Canada as a sovereign and independent nation. In 1947, letters patent signed by King George VI redefined the powers of the Governor-General. These letters patent, quote, authorize and empower our Governor-General with the advice of a Privy Council of Canada, or any members thereof or individually as the case requires to exercise all powers and authorities lawfully belonging to us that means the king in respect of canada since then the governor general has daily and fully exercised the duties of the head of state not only in canada but also abroad as per the letters patent the governor general is also the commander-in-chief of canada the governor general represents canada during state visits abroad ...and receives royal visitors, heads of state and foreign ambassadors at Rideau Hall and at the Citadel of Quebec. The Governor-General presents honours and awards to recognize excellence, valour, bravery and exceptional achievements. The Governor-General is also the head of the Canadian Heraldic Authority. That is from the Governor-General's website. So that gives you an idea of exactly the authority that she has and how she is, in fact, de facto, our head of state... Mm -hmm. So what was all the fuss about, you mean? Yeah, what is all the fuss about? You know, I think,
2: And when it comes from people within government, you wonder, do you guys know what you're doing there? Do you even know what the structure is that you're in?
3: <laughs> Actually, <laughs> um, I think they're... a lot of the hoopla came from uh, the Monarchist League and probably uh, other people out there who, who don't really perhaps know um, what is the role of the Governor General, what is our history with the Governor General, and how the powers of the Governor General have evolved over these past 150, 200 years, to come to the fact that today michael Jean is our head of state yes it's just out of just out of ignorance just out of uh, well even when you confusion. say
2: that, even when it's said that she's the representative of the head of state that still means the same thing when they're there if you right. if you know if the boss sends me down as his representative to some place i'm the boss that's for right. that period of time and just no
3: two ways about it that's right so as it turns out the governor general has a considerable amount of power in our country and it's only by tradition that most of her reserve powers as they're called are kept in check and not used, so it's tradition that basically keeps her from using the actual powers that she has, which are pretty great. The Governor General summons, prorogues, and dissolves Parliament. You know that that, that just stop there for a sec. Tradition
2: uh-huh. stops her from exercising the actual powers that she has, is what you're saying. Abusing
3: right? the powers, I would more okay, or less that, say, um, not exercising, but abusing.
2: What you know, tradition is always established by some kind of precedent and does that mean no precedents are permitted anymore or or is it no, out of no. no as a matter
3: of fact i'm going to get into some oh good some okay precedents no, sorry very I, I shortly.
2: Too, too soon too soon i'm going to shut up for a maybe minute. we
3: should talk about these yeah. shows before okay. we get <laughs> <up>. <laughs> but no actually bob and i don't really talk about too much about uh, the actual content there's a matter of fact we make a point of not talking about uh, the the nitty gritty of what yeah, we're going to uh, talk
2: other than the theme, should, other than the theme. Yeah, call Bob, Bob I'm
3: going to talk about the Queen today. very okay. good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what well, do you think
3: about her? I don't know. Yeah. I'll let you know. On so her. she summons pirogues and dissolves Parliament. I mean, uh, who wouldn't want to do that? I'd love to have that power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would abuse it. I can yeah, tell you I'd that be it. That's for sure. <laughs> she delivers the speech from the throne and gives royal assent to acts of Parliament. She can also dismiss a prime minister, refuse to dissolve Parliament refuse or delay the royal assent to legislation. To withhold the royal assent amounts to a veto of a bill. To reserve the royal assent in effect amounts to a decision neither to grant or refuse assent but to delay taking a decision for an undetermined period of time. She has that power. That's a a lot of power. But the reserve power dismissal has never been used in Canada. Although other reserve powers have been used to force the Prime Minister to resign on two occasions. The first took place in 1896 so this is how far back you have to go but okay. it's tradition and this is what you're going talking about there is precedents, there is traditions there is examples in 1896 prime minister charles tupper we all remember charles tupper don't we oh right on the tip <laughs> of my tongue refused tupper to resi- wear, right yeah <laughs> <Tupperware>. <laughs> sorry yeah they named some yeah. sandwich containers after right. him he refused to resign after losing the 1896 election refused to resign yep yeah, the lost election well. refused to resign so that led the governor general the earl of Aberdeen to no longer recognize Tupper as his prime minister disapproving of several appointments Tupper had recommended now on the second occasion it was known as the King Bing Affair in 1925 not that long ago people still alive today from there at least i think so
2: <laughs> you know when you're talking about those times too if you th- if you're thinking in terms of years and generations it seems a long time ago but if you think in terms of the electoral process and mm-hmm. elections not that long time ago, no no it is was elections once every four or five years That's and you right. don't get that many opportunities to change government
3: but in that instance bob in 1925 the viscount bing of vimy what a name refused to dissolve the new parliament after his prime minister william Lyon Mackenzie king looking to avoid an upcoming non-confidence motion... Boy, this sounds familiar. I've heard, I've heard that before. ...had advised. In the fall of 2008, Governor General Mikhail Jean reused her reserve power to prorogue parliament instead of dissolving it to avoid another election two months after one had already been held. So she's used her power just recently. No moder- modern governor general, however, has disallowed a bill, although provincial lieutenant governors have. Now, you're going to have to go back a long time, uh, search the histories of the Commonwealth countries with a fine-tooth comb over hundreds of years to come up with a constitutional crisis involving the monarch or a governor general. But one of the most notable comes from a country which weathered the storm quite well and is still a very stable and prosperous democracy, Australia. I've heard of that place. Yeah, I think I've heard there's of it somebody in, the, in this room here somewhere who's from there. Yeah, hey, <laughs> <Brownman. laughs> Um... Now this bit of history they call the dismissal. And the dismissal was about it happened in 1975 and what happened then? 75, wonder, 1975, 1975. That's not long ago, relatively recent. Yeah, in our lifetime. But um 1975, the Australian constitutional crisis was called the dismissal and refers to events that culminated with the removal of Australia's then prime minister Gough Whitlam of the Australian Labor Party. The Governor-General Sir John Kerr um, appointed the leader of the opposition Malcolm Fraser as caretaker Prime Minister. Now you have to understand that in Australia they have an elected Senate
0: and oh, an elected right? House of
3: Commons. So this is actually a great experiment in how um, an elected Senate might actually gum up the works, because we have here in Canada quite a lot of people who want an elected Senate here, mm-hmm. but. I asked them to refer to the Australian experiment to find out exactly what might happen because what happened then was you had a Liberal uh, Senate who refused to pass a House of Commons supply bill. Now the supply bill, of course, means the the ability to spend money. money yep. Right, nobody got get paid if the supply bill does not pass. All government workers would not get paid. A pretty important bill. Senate refused to do it unless the lower house called an election. The lower house, the Prime Minister, refused to call an election said pass the bill know the upper chamber refused so this went b- back and forth for a considerable length of time now what happened was the governor general intervened in a nutshell there's actually quite a story to this entire thing about motivation and mm-hmm. and push and pull but the governor general decided to actually sack the prime minister he dismissed him and uh, appointed the leader of the opposition fraser who then immediately uh... called an election and by the way after the election the prime minister who was sacked did not his party did not get back in Yeah, I wonder why <laughs> <laughs> no but if if the people actually uh... felt sympathy for the prime minister for getting sacked by the governor general you would you probably think that he'd get back in again but no but mind you at the aftermath of that particular decision was a lot of protest as a matter of fact the governor general on several occasions actually feared for his life <laughs> Um, you know having to drive through crowds angry crowds and his motor vehicle not getting out Uh, a lot of the politicians and political parties actually boycotted events that the governor general went to but apparently the governor general's rationale was that he did not want to get the monarch involved in australian policies because it was feared that the opposition leader fraser would actually go uh, no, I'm sorry, the, the Prime Minister would go to the monarch, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, and ask her to get rid of the Governor General. This is quite a, a circular yes. uh, dance of power. Everybody's because, uh, <laughs> passing the, the, the hot potato. <laughs> right, because the Prime Minister actually had the power to advise the Queen to get rid of the Governor General. And, of course, the Governor General had the power to dismiss the Prime Minister. So it came full circle. So what t- he Talk did, about
2: a balance of power. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so rather than give him warning the fact that he was going to actually dismiss him, He just dismissed him right out. And uh, there was a bit of the shock. And uh, there was a bit of the anger from the the people who, uh, an unelected, an appointed referee, if you will, got rid of their prime minister, duly elected. So that was quite a shock. And uh, it still reverberates today in Australian circles. Quite a constitutional crisis. Uh, I could see how that would be. Um, Has there been a further... You know, fallout
2: from that? Or changes to their government as a consequence?
3: Well, as a matter of fact, there was some legislation um, uh, that, that, that was enacted because of that fallout. But um, I think it had to do with actually the Senate and and their powers. Not,
2: not to circumvent the Governor General. Not power, to circumvent though. the okay. Governor
3: General, but there was legislation to say, for example, in the Senate, if a seat was vacant, then it must be replaced by a member of the same party. Right. Which was very, very interesting. In other words, you're going to have an election, you've got to be electing the same party. That doesn't make sense. But
2: Well, listen, Robert, we're coming up near the bottom of the hour now. It's time to take that proverbial break. And uh, as we go into this break, there's a little commentary here made by a British comedian named Stuart Lee, which was um, probably recorded about a year after the death of uh, Lady Diane. And in this, uh, comedic clip which some people may regard as a little bit insensitive here and there Um, he's commenting on the relationship that the public often has with with the royalty and how they see the royalty in their own mind it's funny and it's uh, kind of got a grain of truth to it and then he wanders off on a little tangent at the end it's kind of funny too but we'll be back after these breaks and messages and we'll continue with our discussion of the monarchy and the royal family this morning
4: But actually, there's a subject I wanted to talk about on stage it has been very difficult to, to address at home. You certainly couldn't do it uh, last year with the climate of moral hysteria that, that surrounded it, a kind of uh, national emotional panic. Um, but uh, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about, of course, the, the death at the end of last summer of, of Princess Diana, the late Princess of Wales. And what struck me as being most strange about it was the way everyone back home in Britain was affected by it. But they all chose to express their grief in their own personal, different, individual ways. I'll show you what I mean. I went down to Kensington Palace, because I live in London, where she lived. Went down there about two days before the funeral. And outside there at the gates, in amongst all, the floral tributes and the wreaths, bunches of flowers and, and little handwritten messages of goodwill and condolence cards and little pictures little kids had done, in amongst all that, I quite honestly saw, and this is true, I saw a life-size inflatable model of E.T. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at that for some time, and I thought, who thought that that was appropriate? What household did that come from? Where, perhaps, a wife went through to her husband early on that tragic Sunday morning, said to him, "You must, you must wake up. Come and watch the TV. There's, there's been some terrible news." And he, he said, "Why? What, what, what's happened? What is it? What's happened?" And she said. Princess Diana has been killed and he said hey, how how's that how? and she said in a, a car crash in France and he sat up <laughs> and he shrugged his shoulders and, um, and sighed and said I'd better go out and get a life-size inflatable model of E.T. then. You know, for the gates of her home. We don't want to be the only people who don't put one there. And his wife said, yes. And you'd best hurry, there'll be a rush on those now. Putting an E.T. there at least has a kind of logic because E.T. is a very spiritual figure. E.T. is very like Jesus, I always think. (laughs) Three main ways. Firstly, E.T. is like Jesus because he could heal the sick by laying on his hands. He had the gift of healing. Secondly, E.T. is the same as Jesus because he's a fictional character. He didn't exist. Thirdly, of course, E.T. is the same as Jesus, because he thought it was his duty to consort with whores and prostitutes. Now, that bit isn't in the film, admittedly. But there is a director's cut I would urge you to seek out. With some amazing animatronic finger work in those extra scenes.
3: Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call and join in the conversation at 519 661 3600. I'm Robert Vaughn, and I'm here with Bob Metz. Today we're talking about the monarchy. Those two clips you just heard uh, during the break were from Stuart Lee, Princess Diana, and (laughs) E.T. Was that bizarre? Or was that priceless? I never heard that one before. That was great. And of course, you just heard Sir Paul McCartney. Singing Her Majesty. Yeah, Quite so a creep- he's got a connection there.
2: Yeah, you know the words to that song, talking about you know making almost making Her Majesty subservient in some way to the public will. It, it almost the impression I get from that song. It's true, and it's almost the what you see the public wanting to do, in terms of pushing the the whole concept of the monarchy to a more quote unquote democratic system of government. Right, and I think that's where a lot of the the Achilles heel of that thinking. Actually exists, but I'll talk about that a little later. I know you had something to say
3: now about um, what was a particular thing you're getting into now. Oh, we're going to talk about an article by Jeffrey Simpson on the Governor General. But first, I'd like to comment on a. We just had a caller call in, and I didn't want to talk on the air, but Bramwell was saying that the caller was asking whether or not um, we could confirm that the the uh, Queen or the British monarch actually has no governing power in Great Britain herself. And, uh, you know, I think that that may, may actually be right. When I was researching these, uh, this topic, um, I came across the fact that back in around the 1920s, there was a devolution of powers um, from the Commonwealth states who were once called dominions um, to, uh, to realms. They're no longer referred to as dominions, but are now referred to as realms. And anything that the Queen does must be done on the advice of the prime ministers of each realm, Before, it used to be uh, either on the the advice of the Privy Council or the Governor General or even British parliamentarians or the House of Lords. But now, it's actually been stipulated that the Queen can only do things on the advice of Prime Ministers of each individual realm and no others. So that, that actually, the powers are devolving from the Queen, and whether or not she has zero governing powers in in Great Britain, I'm afraid, I don't know. But um, an interesting question, and I think that at some day if she doesn't, she will.
2: What's that difference between a dominion and a realm again?
3: Basically a name. (laughs) That's all, eh? No, no, uh, that's not actually all. Uh, The dominions were actually ruled by the queen, actually the king, I guess, in that time, 1920s. But um, they became uh, known as realms later on and recognized as independent and sovereign units. And any authority the Queen may have had in appointing governor generals or doing any actions within those realms had to be on the advice of the elected prime minister from each of those those realms. realms. Okay. Yeah. So in effect we are a sovereign independent nation, and anybody who says we're not, really should do a bit of history checking on on who has the po- power and who has the control in this country. It's basically the Prime we Minister. We be being Canada, in this case. Yes, and, it is the Prime Minister. Are we then a dominion or a realm? We're a realm. We're a realm. We're, we remember, they took out even the name Dominion of Canada. That was actually our name, the actual uh, official name of canada was the dominion of canada but we are no longer a dominion
2: well it's funny because of, you know you have the word kingdom with the dominant from dominion
3: you know oh uh, i didn't know I, that was the etymology I, of it.
2: i think it is oh and uh, so i was just wondering if that was sort of getting rid of the whole concept of attaching king to that word in some way you know <laughs> i think there's a difference too between getting rid of the power of the um the, the person in that position and undermining the actual structure of what is called the monarchy, however it manifests itself here in Canada and Britain, Australia, wherever. But we'll get into that shortly.
3: Yeah, Jeffrey Simpson, just to get back to that article uh, just this week, suggested that uh, we change some of the things going on with the governor general and actually make her to the head of state. He wrote on Saturday last that, quote, Canada should cut its ties with the British monarchy. And his reason is simple. Quote, they are british <laughs> we are canadian <laughs> he proposes that canada should quote make the office of the governor general the office of the head of state period no constitutional debates about whether the queen or governor general is the head of state du jure or de facto unquote personally i could accept that bob uh, but I could equally accept leaving well enough alone. Yeah. (laughs) Despite the changing demographics that we talked about at the first part of the show and the antics of the Princess of Wales, the personalities of the other royals, there's no pressing need for change. The current system has worked for such a long time. Why mess with it? Canada's not alone, though, Bob.
2: You know know, know what bothers me about this kind Hmm. of opinions that Geoffrey Simpson's expressing here? I'm sure that if it were still someone as popular as princess di was he wouldn't be saying half of this stuff that's true so people are putting all their um, feelings about the the monarchy as an institution on their current feelings about the current members of the royal family prince charles's and, unpopularity and, and and which has gone up and down by the way i don't know that he's so unpopular but if you look here in the london free press you see little love in canada for chuck they don't even call him <laughs> by his proper Charles, name yeah and then whereas in You see in the National Post, Conrad Black suggesting that Prince Charles deserves a warm welcome in this country. He likes Canada, knows it well, has a number of friends here, etc., etc., you know. And I can tell you from what i'm I'm not a big fan of the Royal family or anything like that, but I've seen enough documentaries about the various um, members of the royal family to be uh, somewhat impressed by them. they're They're better than the average person out there. Charles himself has quite an accomplished history himself. indeed, in his own military, a jet fighter, you know, like he can fly it, fly the damn thing, and be in the military. <laughs> um, you know, these guys uh, they've paid a lot of their dues, and I think in a lot of ways, the royal family, they're, they're trapped, like, Like fish in a fishbowl. Yeah, Um, it might sound funny. I have a bit of sympathy
3: for them. But you know something? When Jeffrey Simpson asked, we should get rid of the monarch mainly because of his, uh, you know, dislike for maybe Charles remember that first clip that we came into the show with with the holy grail saying you know moistened bins distributing swords from ponds is no basis for a system of government well you know something jeffrey (laughs) just because you don't like the current monarch of the day doesn't mean that we should change the whole two thousand year history or however long it is history of the monarchy which has worked really well to keep us free yeah you know he says right here in his article
2: he says this is from jeffrey simpson's article quote canada has the luxury ...to prepare for the transition to make the office of Governor General the office of Head of State. Well, okay, we have a luxury, but do we have a need or an objective or a purpose to do that? I don't really see... He doesn't really even define it. And uh, he said, um, you know, the Head of State could be selected by Parliament, by the people... ...or by the 150 companions of the Order of Canada, or by this group or that group, all of which is majority ruleism? Everything he's
3: suggesting. That's to me the exact thing you don't want to be under. You, know you know what that is, Bob? That's splitting ears. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Okay. I mean who cares whether or not she's elected, appointed, appointed by you know, people with uh, considering they don't have Order any power anyway. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like arguing whether the uh the blue balloon that's the symbol of a nation. Is. I think we just got through basically confirming that real power in this country is with the Prime Minister. As a matter of fact, I think the Prime Minister in this country has more power than a President of the United States over his people. He actually does, because basically whatever he says, becomes law oh yes
2: and and i think you know i'm not going to dismiss the power quote-unquote of of the royal family either i think their power comes not from the their legislative uh, quote-unquote powers but from their um role as ambassadors and as uh, dignitaries for their country and the influence they can exert and we'll talk a little bit about that And of course it can create it can create um international incidents too as we'll find out from these next couple of clips that were taken from yes minister in which case in which instance i understand uh, there's a situation where uh, the french president gives the queen a puppy as a gift but it's a little more complicated than that and you'll hear the whole skit and we'll be back right after that with a few of conclusions i've got on this subject
5: Yes, sir, the French ambassador here, is he? Uh, Yes, he's on his way, but could I have a word first? Mm -hmm. Uh, The French Prime Minister isn't coming, the President's coming instead. Oh, the President, that's marvellous. No, Prime Minister, it's terrible. Why? Well, when the Queen visited France three years ago, she presented him with a Labrador puppy. Mm -hmm. And now he's bringing one of its puppies to present her with in return. No! I'm afraid so, so. I knew it. What's the problem? Seems to be rather a nice gesture. It's a gesture, all right, but hardly a nice one. Why not? Well, Her Majesty will have to refuse it. Why? Quarantine, Prime Minister. (laughs) You can't just import dogs. It'll have to spend six months in quarantine kennels at Heathrow. Oh, Lord. Well, the French will understand that, won't they? Oh, they'll understand it all right privately. That's why they're doing it. But they'll refuse to understand it officially. The Foreign Office will have to sort it out. Get Peter in here. Yes. Grave, you've got to tell your chums at the Home Office they must find a way around these quarantine regulations. I'm afraid it's out of the question, Prime Minister. What do you mean? In the first place, we enforce them vigorously with all British citizens and all foreign nationals, without exception. And in the second place, the Quarantine Act is signed by the Queen. She can't be the only one to break her own laws. Out of the question. The uh, French ambassador's here, Prime Minister. Look, ask him to wait for a moment.
6: Minister, you're most kind to give me your time. Enchanté. Now <laughs> I can turn to a happy matter. Our president will be bringing a little present with him, <laughs> which he will be presenting to her majesty. A charming. A little puppy. Oh. Her name is Cocotte. <laughs> from the litter of the very same Labrador that Her Majesty graciously presented to the President on her last state visit to France. Perhaps you will let him know the arrangements for the presentation?
5: of course. Delightful thought. But I'm afraid the presentation won't be
6: possible for another six months. Our quarantine laws, you know. But that is absurd. Your queen gave her dog during her state visit. Why can our president not do the same? Yes, delightful thought. Uh, Nothing we'd rather, but the law is the law. Surely the law exists only to exclude infected animals. Uh, Yes. Um, Do you suggest the president of France would present the queen of England with a diseased puppy? No, 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 no. Then it is settled.
5: Uh, No, no, it is not settled. (laughs) You must suggest to your president that he brings a different gift.
6: Out of the question. Were it the President alone, perhaps. But the President's wife, our First Lady, has set her heart on it. She is determined.
5: Well, we'll make every effort, but it may not
6: be possible. Prime Minister, I cannot tell you the gravity of the affront my government would feel if Her Majesty were to refuse a gift in exchange for the one our President accepted from her. I fear it would be interpreted as both a national and a personal affront to the President and his wife. Excellency, you must ask the President not to bring that bitch with
5: him.
3: Oh, yes, Prime Minister. He meant the puppy. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call 519-661-3600 to join in on our conversation about the monarchy. I'm Robert Vaughn, and I'm here with Robert Metz, or Bob Metz, actually. (laughs) Don't want to confuse people. Yeah, not today. Yeah, I'm just going to conclude uh, my arguments on this, uh, Bob, with just a listing. Uh, All the countries in the world that have governor generals represented... Uh, representing the British royals. They are Antigua and Barbuda, Australia, Bahamas, Barbados, Belize, Canada, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Solomon Islands, and Tuvalu. All of these countries, Bob, share to varying degrees our system of government, and virtually all of these countries are stable, secure democracies. We share something in common with each other, with each and every one of them. Why destroy
2: that? I, I agree with you entirely, Robert. And in fact, uh, Conrad Black made a comment very, very close to to what you just said. He says this is a time when compatible nations are wise to group together, and he talks about the U.K. You know and. Um, He's, he's actually proposing some slight changes, but he's talking about a continued relationship of this sort, including what he calls a primary commonwealth, composed of UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, Singapore, and perhaps Malaysia, South Africa, and the United Arab Emir- Emirates, which uh, he says it would be a group that would be composed of countries that do share some traditions in terms of how their governance is. Um... There's certainly a value in that. And you know, it's funny that when people come here from any of those Commonwealth countries, including Bronwyn there, who just arrived from Australia, I never I never think of any of them as being not part of Canada almost in a way. And I feel That's like right, that yeah. about Americans too, even though I, maybe I shouldn't in today's uh, environment. But I don't think of that <laughs> But uh there's um there's yeah, she's a she's a Canadian citizen too. But um well, oh, she's got the accent. Yeah, she got that accent. That's all that matters, eh? Right, Bronwyn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, I guess I've got an accent. Yeah, okay. You're right, I am a Canadian citizen.
2: There you go. Now, um... You know, I think the Queen has more influence and power than we think, too. I think she, as a diplomat, and I've seen this in action, she can say things that, that as a head of state that, that a, a ruling governing party could not get away with. You know what I mean? I do. Um, on a documentary I once watched in which a camera crew were following the Queen around on her daily rounds, um, some of the things she said to dignitaries of other governments and officials were, you know, in today's vernacular, very politically incorrect. And as far as I'm concerned, correct in terms of what she was telling them. She was trying to uh, almost be the ambassador to spread the concept of individual rights and human dignity and things like that to countries that just don't grasp those principles yet. And she could do it in a way that I'm sure the Prime Minister of England or Canada could not get up and go to a leader of another country and say those things. Mm. Because she is not in that role of power. So... Uh, a lot of people, you know, it, there's a whole thing about uh, a constitutional monarchy is not, of course, an absolute monarchy, which so get that idea out of your head right away. It, uh, um, you know, people talk about the whole concept of the republic. Again, I say both are capable of uh, supporting a free society or not. Uh, but here's an interesting distinction that I just had brought to my attention yesterday. And it has to do with the nature of property rights. And under a monarchy the crown apparently owns all of the all of the property under its jurisdiction Uh, and as such property is exclusion it means exclusion if you own property that means you can exclude people from going on it and the crown has that prerogative they can exclude people from being on so so so-called quote public property Mm -hmm. although they don't because there are there are agreements to that but they can and uh, so what we as the queen subjects call private property rights would be more properly described as a leasehold from the crown and can and can with similar and extended it comes with similar and extended rights of of exclusion and, and we can pass it to our heirs and all that kind of things so because the crown literally owns property this is private ownership both in theory and practice right from the root up interesting okay right from the root up now a republic which has a president places all of its land of of it under its jurisdiction under the theoretical construct of public ownership okay so but in practice it has to resort to the same rights of exclusion exercised by the crown under a constitutional monarchy you can't get away from that you can't say all the streets are public so go ahead and camp out in the middle of highway 401 right you have to exclude people from that purpose on that road you can't just be there in theory, that's not the case in the States. In the States, you can camp out in the middle of the road, in theory. But in practice, they're forced to do the logical thing, it's, and that's to exercise it as if it were property. So, uh, you know, in theory, the Republic kind of destroys the idea of private property as such, which is ironic because everybody in, in the Republic talks life, liberty, and property, <laughs> right? And uh, since all such lands under a Republic being public and not private, they don't allow exclusion by right. So anybody can say, yeah, I have a right to be here and uh, and forget for a moment the whole argument of of separating the judiciary from the legislative I I agree with that principle but that that can exist under either system but um so the immediate threat as I see it to both uh, now in practice you see that the the republic is more of a contradiction a bit because in practice they have to have to actually act a little more like the crown they have to act like a government that actually owns its land as an owner, right? They have no other way to Texas. society. They suicide. must be going through a lot of cognitive dissonance in the states. I don't know, but it's very interesting. And as I see it, the immediate threat to uh, both free republics and free constitutional monarchies is so-called democracy what we call democracy not democracy as meaning uh, a government that rules with the consent of the people or or you know the power emanates from the people You're but talking one about in mob which rule. W- majority rule under which consent is replaced by consensus and freedom of association is replaced by forced compliance under an expansion of the state that's what is destroying both systems of government and people in both countries are thinking well i can change the system of government and that'll stop people from wanting something for nothing <laughs> and it won't that's why the fear of all governments throughout history from the Roman Empire on was a fear of letting the public get a hold of the public purse once that was done once once the public was in the, in the proverbial royal chambers and, and, and uh, the vault so to speak you'll end it, up with a city council like London that's has. exactly what will happen so <laughs> what we see though is all these writers talking about let's change it they're all advocating in some way that we should replace our constitutional protections by major by a majority rule system and all be subject to each other of whims and if you want something for nothing i gotta pay for it if i want something for nothing you gotta pay for it so i think a stable government is really a government that commands respect both at home and abroad and i think to a large degree Uh, Our constitutional monarchy is a product of political and social evolution with a past you can't ignore. And I don't believe in arguing for, you know, tradition for tradition's sake, or let's just keep doing it because we've been doing it. Uh, The historical continuity of the monarchy, I think, transcends all political and social fads, trends, waves, many a war and revolution. Personalities of the royals? Yes, conservatives and liberals, the whole thing. The royal family is merely the symbolic personification of that continuity. That's why the blood is so important. It's the continuity throughout the years of the crown, not of a particular party or government, or even of a particular king and king or queen in, in in power, so to speak. And I think the symbolic continuity of the crown transcends politics and offers evidence of a long-term assurance that international agreements and contracts will be honored. I always thought an amazing thing that Britain did was hand over Hong Kong hand it back to China after what a 99-year lease or something That's right, like yeah. that. And so, if you had a bunch of intervening governments in between, say, an African state, would you have made a deal for 99 (laughs) years with any of them? You couldn't do it. So, if we, you know, and, and then you look at the other point. If we ignore history, we can't plan for the future. Look at it this way. If all the laws and structures we create today for the protection of future generations. If they're simply ignored and cast aside by those future generations, then what's the point of governance in the first place? What's what's the whole point if we're just going to govern by whim? And that's the, the, the big balance, and that's the big uh, problem I think we always have in a free society is to balance the power between the government and the citizen because it's all about just getting along together. And I think it's the king or or the Queen's job, the the royalty, the the monarchy, to protect his or her subjects. That was always their role, from foreign invasion, from crime and violence domestically, and to ensure that we as individuals continue to exist in a consensual society. And I think that's... We can do that under a monarchy. It's worked pretty good so far, hasn't it? I think so. And if you look at all the other countries that have done so and been under a, quote, foreign, you know, (laughs) you know, monarchy, which is kind of a an anomaly in any way you look at it uh i think we've got uh, a very interesting uh, i forget what conrad black called it what was the word he called it um well that's not the article there but he gave it a really funny name, like uh, it's uh, a hybrid type of a system that we've got here. Dysfunctional? No. <laughs> but um, certainly, yeah, not having a non-residential monarchy, he says that's one of the weirdest things that you can have. And it's, he called it novel. It's just a novelty. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. It's not necessarily bad. No. It's just a novelty. Right. That's right. So um, anyways, I, I'm pretty much leaning towards a side. I'm, I, I'm, am I a monarchist? I don't know if I'd go that far, but I don't see any reason to change it, because it ain't really broke. I agree. At least not at that point. I agree. Are we done? I think we're done. I think we got to go. And uh, so let's get out of here, and we hope that the rest of you who are listening will again join us next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right, stay right, and take care. Fade into
0: colour, colour to black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright. My life has had its highs and lows. The lows were courtesy of the unrelenting tabloids, and the highs were provided by Prince Harry, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, it must be off. Enjoy the comedy festival, and it's so refreshing to be around people who are funny on purpose. Ta-ta, and have a nice day, eh? Thank you.